So that's awesome. We love you, James and Catherine, and we're excited to just to get to hear from you today, James. Thanks. Appreciate it. Just um, for those of you who weren't here, we just came off of a week of prayer and fasting um, a little over a week ago, and I just can't tell you how thankful I am for how I saw the Lord move. You know, collectively during our week of prayer and fasting, if you were not able to join us during that, know that we were praying for you. So you didn't miss out. You were being lifted up before our Lord as we were praying for not just the body of Christ here as the expression at Calvary, but throughout this valley, throughout our community, we were praying for our community, our state, and our world. So what really stood out for me during that week of prayer and fasting was the humility that I saw in people's hearts and lives. We, we talk about it being a week of humble, but I really saw humility this year. It really stood out. And as the week went on, I saw more and more humility. What I saw was people of just coming and repenting of sins and wanting to change the lifestyle and the patterns of sins that they were in. They were wanting to hear what God wanted for them and for their life and to say yes and amen to that. I'm just so thankful for that. But you know, as we experience that special time of intimacy with the Lord, we can find ourselves after a time like that of slipping back. And I want to caution us. There's three areas I want to caution us in. The first one is go, don't go back to the sin that so easily entangles you. Every one of us have different sins that easily entangle us, but we all have sin that can easily entangle us. And I want to encourage you, do not go back to the sin that easily entangles you. Second, I want to encourage you to not re-engage with the self-help false balms of this world. God is our healer. God is the only one who can change our hearts and change our lives. Having experienced that with the Lord, don't go back to the false gods of this world. Lastly, don't forget who God said you are in him. Don't look in a mirror and forget what God said. And don't forget what God's calling you to do. For that which he calls you to do, he will strengthen you and equip you to do. Trust him in that. Even if it seems way beyond. Actually, it's better if it seems way beyond your capabilities. Trust God in that. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray for your anointing here this morning to take your word and pierce our hearts. Lord, we wanna go from glory to glory. And really what that is all about is just seeing new and greater facets of who you are. Lord, it's not our glory, it's your glory. And what we need is our eyes opened up to see who you are and to experience you. Lord, more and more change us into the image of Christ. And if we are not yet walking with you, Lord, we pray that they, Everyone here who is not walking with you would have their eyes opened up to the truth of your gospel, of your mercies and grace, and they would be walking with you when they walk out the door today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you to know I put a bunch of notes out online for you guys, so if you're online, you can feel free to grab those. You're gonna see a whole bunch of scriptures today because God's word is what's gonna change you. And so I want you to know you don't have to vigorously write it all down. All of those notes are out there for you. You can go on the app and get those afterwards. And I want you to just hear and listen to God's word. You'll see the scriptures up on, on the screen. 
and allow God to just change your heart. So the passage that God put on my heart to teach today is Romans 12. Romans 12 is probably very familiar to many of you. I'm going to just read the first two verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As I come out of an experience like we've had with the Lord and we gain a time of intimacy, I often find myself saying, where do I go from here? You know, we've just experienced an incredible time with the Lord. Where do we go from here? Whether you got to participate in that or not, I believe Romans 12 has the answer for us. And it starts with Paul exhorting us. He says, I beseech you, brethren. He doesn't just ask. He beseeches. That's not a word we use a lot. But it basically, he's entreating us. He's asking us. He's pleading with us. He even begs us to do something. And what is God calling us to do through Paul here? To make a choice. To submit your wills to do something. I believe Paul uses strong language here because as people, we have a tendency to harden our heart to the things of God and the truths of God's word. Knowing the condition of his own heart, King David wrote this psalm, this incredible prayer in Psalm 141. It starts by him just praying, asking the Lord to set a guard over his mouth that he would not sin in what he spoke. He goes from there and he says, keep my heart from or, I'm sorry, con consenting or tolerating evil. He wanted to keep his heart. He knew that's where it started, from tolerating evil. And then he said, keep me from practicing evil and from hanging around those who will tempt me to go into evil. Keep me from that, Lord. But then in verse five, he prays for correction in his life through others. For those of you who know the story, think of the prophet Nathan. Let's read Psalm 141, verse five. It says, let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Now that seems like really strong language, so let's go to the Amplified Bible and see, maybe help us understand it a little better. It says, let the righteous thoughtfully strike or correct me. It is a kindness done to encourage my spiritual maturity. It is the choicest anointing oil on my head. Let my head not refuse to accept and acknowledge and learn from it. That was one mature prayer. And I pray that would be all of our prayers here today. So like Paul in our text, I plead with you this morning to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now Paul just exhorted us to present our bodies this living exact, you know, uh, sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. If he had just said, present your bodies holy and acceptable to God, 
we'd be a pitiable people because we wouldn't know how to do that. It would invalidate the cross if we thought it was through our own self-efforts, through our own goodwill, promising, oh Lord, I'm gonna get it right this time. I'll show you. No, that would invalidate the cross. Christ's death on the cross was necessary to set us free. But Paul entreats us to offer up our lives as a living sacrifice. How? By the mercies of God. By God himself doing a one-time work in our life of salvation and an ongoing work of sanctification in our lives. But the phrase, by the mercies of God, is also filled with who God is. And I point you back to Exodus 34 as God expresses to Moses who he is. And it says, the Lord passed before him, being Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by who will, I'm sorry, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. Now, if we'd been reading the entire book of Romans here this morning, you guys would know what Paul means when he stops in chapter 12 and says, do this by the mercies of God. But we don't have time to go through all those chapters, and so I'm gonna summarize them for you this morning. And I want you to see Paul shoots straight in the book of Romans. He doesn't mix words. He describes two distinct paths, the path of life without God's mercy and the path of life with God's mercy. Let's compare and contrast these from the first 11 chapters as I went through. This is what stood out for me. You would probably see far more than I pulled out here this morning. Life without God's mercies, we are fools suppressing the truth, believing ourselves wise, we are under God's wrath. Let me tell you, every single one of us was on the left-hand side. Whether we're there today or not, we were all there. Don't fool yourself. We were all there being fools, suppressing truth under God's wrath. But what is life with God's mercy? We are saved from the wrath of God. Without God's mercy, we are unrighteous, we are all guilty, we're idol worshipers, going after the lusts and uncleanness of this world. Life with God's mercy, we are righteous through faith, and we are justified by grace. Without God's mercy, we are under the curse of sin. We're actually slaves of sin. We can't help but sin. Life with God's mercy, we are free from sin. We're actually slaves of righteousness and we have access to ongoing grace in our lives. Life without God's mercy, we are hostile towards God. We're actually enemies of God. But with God's mercy, we have been adopted into his family. We are heirs with Christ and we are inseparable from Christ's love. I want you to get a hold of that. Adopted into his family. Heirs with Christ. Inseparable. 
from his love. Without God's mercy, we are condemned. With God's mercy, we are free from condemnation. Without God's mercy, we are without peace. With God's mercy, we have peace with God. So I plead with you today. All of us have been on that left side. If you find yourself there today, I want you to cry out, to have your eyes opened up to who God the Father truly is and what he did through Jesus Christ, his son, so that you can live a life under the mercy of God and experience the right-hand side. So looking back from where we've come and pondering these mercies of God, our mind can now reason. We can see the logic of it and our heart can respond to God by offering ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which again, in chapter 12, verse one says, is your reasonable service. When you look at what God has done, when you can truly grasp that, you're like, absolutely, that is just the bare minimum I should be doing is laying down my life as a living sacrifice to the God who gave me everything, brought me from death, and gave me life. That is your reasonable service. It is my reasonable response. I'm an engineer. I love logic. There is nothing more logical than to respond to God's outpouring of love. It is foolish to reject that. Paul expresses it beautifully also in 2 Corinthians 5. Beginning in verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ compels us that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We are compelled to be a living sacrifice to God. As we're a living sacrifice, we're actually consecrated, we're set apart for God. We're freely surrendering our wills and our desires to that of the Father, saying, no longer do I want what my flesh wants, what the world tells me I want. I want to align myself to what God says is right and good because I know that is right and good for me. Paul exhorts us, I'm sorry, Peter exhorts us in 1 Peter 2, when he says to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, how? Through Jesus Christ. Jesus demonstrated this um, living sacrifice when he taught us to pray in Matthew 6, when he said, your kingdom come, your will be done. And Rob taught on that several weeks ago. Jesus also, when he was in extreme agony in the Garden of the Gethsemane, expressed his desire but surrendered his will, saying in Luke 22, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Paul too instructs us in Romans 6, verse 11, when he says, we must count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So it really comes down to this. Who is calling the shots in your life? Whose desires are driving you, driving your thoughts, your behaviors, your actions, your reactions on an ongoing basis? Who's on the throne of your life? 
let's look at this picture. You see two contrasted things, a self-centered life and a God-centered life. We all start on the left. We've talked about Christ outside our lives. With ourselves on the throne, everything is about us. Everything is about our desires. By the grace of God, at some point in your life, my hope is that either you have experienced or you will experience soon that you have this intervention of the Lord. He comes in and he grants you a gift of repentance. He opens your eyes to the truth of who you are and he gives you the gift of faith and you're able to put your faith and trust wholly in the finished work of cross, not in your ability to be righteous, not in your ability to be a good person, but fully in what Christ has done for you. And at this point, we enter into a God-centered life. This is a state of wholeness, being Christ-ruled where our God intends us to live. He even empowers us to live in that. But unfortunately, while the power of sin has been broken over us, the allure of sin and the allure of this world and the temptation of our enemy is still very real at work in our lives. And sometimes we find ourselves going back to the throne of our lives and living what I'll call a self-ruled life. I'm not saying that we're not saved at this point or that you've walked away from the faith, although honestly, you need to search your own heart there before the Lord. You need to ask the Lord. And I've had to do that in my own life if I struggled with sin. But rather I'm saying that we drift away from the Lord. And why do we drift away from the Lord? It's little by little by little. Let's look at the scriptures. First, we stop denying our selfish passions and desires. We stop presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. We become discouraged with this world. We forget who we are and we stop resisting sin in our lives. We get our eyes or our focus off of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We become weary in doing what is right when everyone around us is not. And it's really not everyone, but that's who we think. It's everyone else is doing it. We're the only ones. It's not true. It's a lie but we become weary in doing what is right. And we lose heart because of these little troubles in our lives. And in the process, we slip back onto the throne of our lives and we displace our Savior from his right place of lordship and rulership over your lives. We lose passion for him who has passion for us we lose our desire to give him everything for him who gave us everything. By the grace of God, we come to our senses, either through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives or the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives and a faithful friend who's correcting you. And we find ourselves, if you find yourself doing and think, thinking things that are contrary to God's word, 
and find yourself crying out saying, oh wretched man that I am, who will save me, who will deliver me? Know that Paul, the Apostle Paul, had the same struggle in his life. And he says in Romans 5, first in 24, that same, oh wretched man, who will deliver me from this body of death? But he answers it in, in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer to set you free from the bondages we find ourselves in. So how does the Lord deliver us through ongoing work of sanctification in our lives. So let's take a look at this. It starts with confession. Confession is really aligning ourselves with truth. What is the truth of what God's word says, what we're doing? Call it out in your life. Lord, forgive me for lying. Forgive me for lusting. Forgive me for coveting. Forgive me for fill in the blank. Call it out. What is the Lord asking you to confess? And you may need to, as he says, confess to another because it's healthy to bring those things into the light. Then we repent. That's actually turning away from our sin. Viewing sin through God's eyes, it's easier to turn away from it when we understand what sin really is. And we repent, we turn away, and we make no provisions for the flesh. Lastly, we allow God to restore us unto himself. But oftentimes he also calls us to restore to another, to someone else. And as God calls you to steps of restoration, walk those out by the power of God. This is God's ongoing work of sanctification. And as we mature, we see this cycle go quicker in our lives as we allow these things in our lives and we slip off, uh, the Lord slips out of the throne because we slip ourselves back on, we recognize it and we're like, oh, this is not a good place. I want to confess, I want to repent and I want to have God restore me once again. And we need to go through that. First John 2 tells us, John says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I think part of it is a mentality that we walk around with. We think, well, of course we're going to sin. You know, of course we're going to give in. So when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Let's not set ourselves up, let's not set our minds up for failure. Let's keep our eyes focused on Christ. Let's set our mind and have our minds continually renewed by the word so that we're not thinking, oh, well, it's just a matter of time. John is not advocating here that we attain to a sin-free state on this earth. I want to make that very clear. He rebuked that idea in verse 8 of the previous chapter in John, 1 John 1.8. But he wanted to make it clear that we don't have to sin because it's really sloppy grace when we excuse sin in our lives and we think we're just gonna sin because God's gonna forgive us. Paul addresses this in Romans 6. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's his answer? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? 
we should walk in the newness of life. Consider God's mercy. Remember his holiness, his righteousness, the mercy of our Father, and press on to maturity. God just doesn't ask us, though, to walk this out on our own. Instead, he gives us gifts to help us, but he also sets us up in community. Let's look at this next. In the ongoing work of sanctification, I want to say we are not passive players. He set us into community. He set people around us. But we're not passive in this work of sanctification. We have a responsibility. Philippians 2 says this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. This looks like exercising spiritual disciplines in your life. The discipline of reading your word. Regular times of prayer and solitude. Corporate and individual worship. Times of prayer, fasting, serving others, giving. All of these things, these spiritual disciplines, start to practice, exercise those in your lives. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. It changed Paul's life, and what did it do? He says, no, I worked harder than all of them. You know who he's referring to? all the other apostles. Why did Paul able to do that? He says, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. I think Paul was able to do that for the same reason that God is enabling me to do that in an ongoing way. It's because of Luke 7, 47. He who has been forgiven much loves much. I recognize the depths of which my sin had separated me from God. I recognized the depths of the filth of my flesh and what God has saved me from. And as a result, my heart is deeply in love with the Lord. And as I still wrestle with sin in my life, and I see God's faithful hand to draw me back to him, I just can't help but love him more and want to love him more and more and respond with ever-increasing maturity in my life. I want to work harder. I want to resist sin. Why? Not so that everybody thinks James is holy. So that my God knows that I love him. I want to encourage you not to see spiritual disciplines in your life. I want to encourage you to get accountability in your life. Matt Jansen is my accountability partner. Matt and I have been doing this for over a decade together. We don't just confess sin to one another. We encourage one another and we build one another up. Who was the one calling me this morning, praying that God would be glorified? It was Matt calling me this morning and encouraging my heart. I encourage you to get relationships like that in your life. Get accountability. Be open. 
Now, first and foremost, if you're married, your accountability partner should be your spouse. Catherine is my number one accountability partner, my number one encourager. We've walked 30, almost 35 years of marriage together next month, and I am so thankful for a, a love of my life who cares enough for me to hold me accountable, to encourage me, to cause me to go deeper with the Lord. It was the thing that attracted me first and foremost. It wasn't that she was just a beautiful woman. It was that she loved God unconditionally. That's what attracted me to Catherine in the first place. It was an absolute bonus that she was gorgeous <laughs> and that she was a very kind and loving person, gracious but first and foremost, it was her passion and love for Christ that attracted me to her and continues to have her be my very best friend in life. God has called us into community. So get accountability in your life, but also get into regular fellowship in your life. Live life closely with other believers. Maybe that looks like a house church for you. Maybe it looks like a couple of you getting together for dinner and encouraging one another, praying with one another. Use your God-given gifts and talents for God's glory and building his kingdom. Let's go back to our text in Romans 12 and verse two, and it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to this world, we can all conjure up a lot of different thoughts on that, but instead what I did was I went to every single translation I could find of this verse, and I compiled it into several statements. First, do not let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. And that's what the world wants to do. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't copy or follow the behaviors and customs or live any longer the way this world lives. That's what God is calling us to do, to not be conformed to this world. I want to ask you, when was the last time you took a godly stand and suffered harassment for it? None of us likes to do it. I don't like to do it. I've had to do it a few times in this last year and it's difficult, but you know what? It yields peaceful fruit. You feel so much better having taken a stand. I'm not saying take a stand and suffer for being obnoxious. I'm saying by God's grace, lovingly, take a stand with truth through grace in your life and extending grace to others. When was the last time you said no to something that was wrong or unjust? and you were ridiculed by peers, or your professor, or your boss, or your boss's boss, or your boss's boss's boss. Are you willing to take a stand for injustice? Are you willing to stand up and say, no, that's not right? Again, do it in grace and love, recognizing our enemy is not flesh and blood. It is principalities and powers and every lofty thought that is raised against the knowledge of God. Our, knowledge, our war is not against that other person. 
That person was made in the image of God, they're image bearers of God, and they are either a believer or a pre-believer in God, by the grace of God. Treat them with dignity and respect, but speak truth and love. Our life should look different from the world around us. First Timothy 2 says, we should stand out as different, marked by our love, John 13. The world is going to misunderstand and even hate us as they did our Lord. You can refer to John 15, verse 20 there. But these are momentary light afflictions which are producing in us an eternal weight of glory, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. And I, David Guzik's my favorite Bible commentary. Those of you who know me know that I love David Guzik because he loves Jesus. But I read David's commentary a lot, and I read his commentary on 2 Corinthians 4, 17, and he says this as he's talking about weighing these light afflictions. He said, go ahead and get the scale out. Put all of your afflictions on one side and then go ahead and just weight that down with your thumb. You know, like, He said, and then I'm gonna put the weight of glory on the other side and see what light afflictions we really have. See, our afflictions are light oftentimes compared to what others suffer. Our afflictions are light compared to what we deserve. Let me say that one again. Our afflictions are light compared to what we deserve. Our afflictions are definitely light compared to what Christ suffered on behalf of us. And our afflictions are light compared to the blessings we enjoy from the Lord. When we resist temptation, we will experience God's sustaining power in us, and you'll see that it leads to God's glory here on this earth. Let's go back to verse two. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants us to grow in an ever closer, loving relationship with him. And that work starts with his work of salvation in our lives. But it continues by having our minds renewed or transformed or what I like to say, reset to its intended design, factory settings. The, world transform, the word transformed here is the word metamorpho, literally mean being metamorphosed. Metamorphosized. Remember, I'm a chemical engineer, not a biologist. It literally means to change into another form. To transfigure. You might think of Jesus' transfiguration. In fact, this word is used four times in the New Testament. Once, right here in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be metamorphosed, changed, completely changed. Twice in Matthew 17 and Mark 9, it describes Jesus' transfiguration as he was transfigured before three of the disciples. And then again, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, look at this verse. But we all, with unveiled face, 
beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So how are we transformed? We are transformed by beholding the face of God, by seeking the Lord. How do we experience that? The word of God. God sent his word that we might be transformed. We might have our minds reset to the factory settings. We need to be renewed because we've all been changed by sin and we need to be completely made new. We also get that through prayer. So Bible reading and prayer, you experience God and you are transformed. You see the Lord face to face. We see this transformation also in the Old Testament. Think of Moses as he was with the Lord in his presence, spending time in his glory, and then he just shone. He, I mean, he had to put a bag over his head, right, so that people could be around him. He so was changed, so was transformed from being in God's presence. Moses in the Old Testament. This was before Christ. Think of Isaiah, caught up into heaven. What did he say? Whoa, I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And God changed him. When we're in God's presence, he changes us. We see those examples in the Old Testament. How much more, because of what Christ has done, can we be transformed as the veil has been torn and we can come into the Holy of Holies and be in the presence of our God? What does it look like to have your mind renewed? I'm gonna go through a series of scriptures just to help you, because it's the word of God that is gonna convince you and change you. 2 Corinthians 10 talks about bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Colossians 3, 12 says to set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. What are those things above? Philippians 4, 8 tells us, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, is there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about what we did during the week of prayer and fasting. Did you turn down some knobs in your life? Did you shut out some things so that we can just seek the Lord? Think about how much clearer you heard the voice of God that week. Think about how much closer you felt. Think about the indwelling sin that God freed you from that week. Think of that good work that happened. You tasted and saw that the Lord is good. This is the same thing we're talking about here. Turning down those things that are of the world and turning up those things that are of the Lord. Psalm 119 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. John 1.8 says to meditate on it, being the Bible, day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is according to, I'm sorry, according to all that is written in it. Psalm 1 talks about a man 
who, um, should, a righteous man, encourages him not to walk in the counsel of wicked, not to stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, a progression there, but have his delight in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. We'll end with Proverbs 3, 4, and 5 there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and what he will make your paths straight. You see, God sends his word to heal us. I used to think that's just God sending his word to bring physical healing in our lives. But it was a real revelation to me. God sends his word to heal us, heal our emotions. First, heal us spiritually, but then heal our emotions, heal our thinking, free us from a life of bondage and the bondages that we're in, and to heal us physically. God sent his word to heal us. Psalm 107, verse 20. So, why do we reject conformity to this world and submit ourselves to the transforming work by renewing of our minds? Why, Why do we not do this? And why does God call us to do this? Again, we don't do it because we slip into the fleshly thinking. We let these little things erode us each day. But God calls us to do it. Why? That we may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. If you're walking in these truths, I want to encourage you to regularly recall the mercies of God. That table that I showed you, expand on it. Take it off the the web. Go through the first 11 chapters yourself and see the mercies of God. Yield the throne of your life to the Lordship of Christ. Take thoughts captive. Conform your behaviors to the obedience of God's word. Spend time with the Lord face to face through prayer and his word. And you will be living proof, a testimony that the will of God is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. It's not enough just to know the will of God. You have to yield to it. I have to yield to it. It's a decision I make. Am I going to bend my will to the will of my Father? Jesus had to make that decision in the Garden of Gethsemane. I have to make that decision each and every day. I just want you to know that God's incredible work of love in our life What is our right response? Obedience. Obedience is our right response. I just want you also to see when God saves us, he's not just making a better you. He's actually transforming you into something completely new. I'm not saying he's not going to use the uniqueness of who you are. He's going to. But sometimes we think, Maybe you don't. Um, I did. I grew up religious. I thought I was a good person because I did every religious act right. But my heart was desperately wicked. Whether I did the things on the outside, it didn't matter. They were all done right here. And I knew it and God knew it. So don't think that there's just some little flaw that God's got to get out of your life 
sand off a little corner here, a rough edge there, or there's just this little impurity. I can grab, oh, now you're, you're great. Now you can be saved. No, God needs to completely transform us, needs to change who we are, make us a brand new creation. It says in Ezekiel 36 that he gives, takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And he continues that ongoing process until we see him face to face. Now, Paul ends chapter 12, verse 9 through 21, with a whole bunch of things. He tells us what this new life looks like. I'm going to spare you. I'm not going through all those today. But I listed them all in the notes, and I tried to summarize them in such a way that you could take that and meditate on that and ask God, what are those things, how should this look like in my life? And that's a compilation of that. And I would encourage you, there's about 20 items there that Paul encourages us, tells us what that new life looks like. What does love in action look like in your life? But I want to encourage you as we're closing here today that this love in action starts with the relationships in your own home. Obviously, it starts first and foremost with your relationship with Christ. And then after you've been made right with the Lord, it starts with the relationships in your home. Whether that be your spouse, maybe that be your parents, maybe that be a roommate, children, whoever it is, start with the relationships in your own home. And then move from there to every other area. And I just wanna encourage you to test yourself. These are some questions that I'm just telling you, I'm going through a class. My wife, Catherine, went through a class last year on biblical counseling. She got certified to be a biblical counselor last year, year-long class, and she was so touched by that. I took, I'm taking the class this year. I'm not getting certified like she did, but I'm taking the class. I'm, I was meeting with Tom Muir's yesterday before the men's breakfast, just telling him I feel like it's a surgical work in my heart first. As my mind is renewed, and I have to be changed to think biblically about things. You know, you think, oh, okay, I'm going to learn how to counsel others. <laughs> Starts right here, buddy. Starts right here in your own heart. And that's what God's doing. And it's this heart surgery he's doing in me, changing my thinking, causing me to look and point to the word of God for the truth in our lives. So here's some questions that we can ask ourselves as we think about these things. Are you giving preference to the needs and desires of others or are you serving yourself honestly? Are you finding areas to serve not just your body but the community? Are you extending yourself for others? There's several ways you might practically walk this out and um, I know that the team here has put up some next steps you could think about. You know, you could become involved in mentoring. You could you'd be part of a house church. You could serve. You know, you could go to Break Every Chain. I talked to Jerry Baumgartner one time, and I said, you know what? Every single person here could go through Break Every Chain. Every single person in the body. If you're part of that, praise God, you've had the courage to go and do that. 
Every one of us need chains broken in our lives, and we have an awesome ministry and break every chain. We also have daily prayer here. You can get prayer, you can pray with others, and we have weekly men's and women's Bible studies. But let's go on. What are some other questions we can ask ourselves? Are you truly hating, I mean hating, and confronting evil? Starting in your own heart. That's where we have to start, our heart. Before you can confront any evil, get the plank out of your own eye. Let's get evil out of our own heart. Can you limit the me in your life? Me, mine, my, as the center of your thoughts, as the center of your life, as the center of your universe, because that's the flesh, that's the world. In fact, the world tells us it's all about you. I mean, we are bombarded with how many marketing messages day in and day out. It's all about you. It's all about you, whatever you want. That's not what God says. God says it's about loving him and loving your neighbor. It's not about us. How can we turn the me dials down? Is your social media honoring the Lord? Is there someone you've forgiven but now the Lord wants you to take the next step and reconcile with them. And I want to ask you lastly, and this is a simple one, are you sincerely, genuinely rejoicing with other success? And are you having empathy in their hurts, their pains, their suffering? Let's go ahead and have the worship team come back up. And as they're coming, I just want to tell you that today's message, as I prayed over this, I really tried to hear from the Lord. What does the Lord want to speak? Where do we go from here after an intimate time with the Lord like that? It's really meant to encourage our hearts, to challenge us all to maturity. I know it has challenged me. To grow in our love for the Lord and with each other. Philippians 3 really expresses my heart here because this is where I am and I believe many of you are here. Let me just read it to you. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, the older I get, the more I can relate to John Newton. He is the author of Amazing Grace. He was a slave ship captain and author of Amazing Grace. This is what John Newton wrote. I am not what I ought to be, I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. I want to profess over you what Paul professed over the Philippians in verse, chapter 1 and verse 6. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion 
into the day of Christ Jesus. And to those of you who are with us this morning, here in our midst, or those of you who are online, experiencing us online, I want to talk to you if you have not yet received the mercies of God in your life. We talked about those in those first chapter, 11 chapters. And I want to exhort you. Actually, I want to just plead with you to listen and respond to the Spirit of Christ in your life. Drawing, he is drawing you to himself to be reconciled to God. These last two scriptures are for you. Isaiah 1.18 says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Reason together literally means let us come settle the matter. Maybe you've been on the outskirts for a long time. God wants to settle the matter. Come, reason together. Maybe this is your first time truly hearing the truth of God's word. Come, settle the matter. Let us reason together. Though your sins be red like scarlet, they can be as white as wool. Last verse for you, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'd ask that you close your eyes and join me as we close in prayer. Actually, before I pray, I just want to ask you to really, with your eyes closed, just ask for courage to respond to the Lord this morning. Respond to God's moving in your heart from his word. And if this is a day of salvation for you, a day where the Lord is calling you to cross from a me-centered life to a God-centered life, I want you to acknowledge that. Cry out to the Lord, raise your hand here this morning and say, I want to live under the mercies of God. So I'd ask you, if that's you here this morning, raise your hand and say, Lord, that's me. I'm calling out for the mercies of God. I see you there. I just, Lord, I just so rejoice that you're moving on hearts and lives here this morning. I see just your grace at work in people's lives. Lord, I just pray for you to work in all of our hearts and lives if we have not crossed that line. And Lord, if we're online or if we're here and present, we just pray like each one of us has had to do, acknowledge our sins before you. Lord, we do that. We acknowledge our sin before you and we ask that you forgive us our sins. We put our faith and our trust solely in Jesus. We thank you for forgiving us of our sins and for setting us free. Now, if you're one of those today that you find yourself regularly slipping back into a self-ruled life and you want to break out of that pattern in your life of going back to self-rule, 
I also want to encourage you to acknowledge it, raising, raising your hand this morning, saying, Lord, I want to get out of that self-ruled life pattern. I want you to break that in my life. And by raising my hand, I'm just acknowledging, Lord, that is a tendency that I have, and I need you to work in my life to break that and to cause me to walk wholeheartedly in your presence day in and day out. Lord, for those who are sitting here with hands upraised, Lord, I'm just gonna raise my hands along with them. Lord, I need you to break me from the patterns that can so easily entangle me in my own life. Lord, I want to be set free and I wanna walk in that freedom, closeness that you're calling each one of us to. And I pray that you would do that in our hearts and lives here today. Lord, for your glory, for your honor, that we might walk in your mercies, Lord. And lastly, if you're wanting to grow in maturity and love of our Lord, I just want to encourage you, stand to your feet and join in with our worship leaders today. If you're thinking of God's great mercy and you want to respond, stand to your feet and praise God for what he has done in your life and join with those leading us here to today. And as they're leading us in worship, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward and some other elders to come forward um, who can pray for people. And I want to encourage you to keep coming forward for prayer. We've had people coming the last couple of weeks. And let me tell you, I am seeing an amazing work of God as people are coming forward for prayer. Amazing work of God. Don't miss out on that. Come forward and get prayer this morning. Have one of the elders come. If you've given your life to the Lord, one of the elders is going to be over here. Alan, you're going to be over here? Alan will be over here. And come and he will help you get started in a new life with Christ. He will help you get established in that walk. We're not talking about joining a church. We're talking about entering into a living, active, vibrant relationship with God. With that, let's go ahead and turn over.